Hi everybody, welcome to this week's edition, the Final Four edition of A Trophy Life, the official podcast of the Naismith Awards here in Atlanta. I'm your host, Bob Rathman, and our guest this week from Houston will be Clark Kellogg of CBS Sports. We'll talk about the men's Final Four, but we want to get started by taking you back to Wednesday in Dallas and announcing our Women's Player and Coaches of the Year and our Defensive Player of the Year. What a day it was on Wednesday afternoon in Dallas. And we salute Iowa's Caitlin Clark as the winner of the 2023 Jersey Mike's Naismith Trophy, honoring her as the most outstanding player in women's college basketball. And what a season it was. During her history-making 40-point triple-double against Louisville in the Elite Eight, she became the first player in D1 NCAA basketball history, men's or women's, to record over 900 points and 300 assists in a single season, lifting Iowa to their first Final Four in 30 years. The only player in the women's game to average more than 20 and five assists and five rebounds per game this season. What a remarkable campaign, and we're so happy and so proud of Iowa's Caitlin Clark. Also recognized in Dallas, South Carolina's Dawn Staley and her star, Aaliyah Boston. They repeated as winners. Dawn, the Warner Ladder Naismith Women's Coach of the Year and the Naismith Women's Defensive Player of the Year goes to Aaliyah Boston. So congratulations to those two. And of course, Iowa and South Carolina are going to get to know each other very well as they are set to meet in the national semifinals on Friday, March the 31st in Dallas. Now we will hear more from Caitlin and Dawn and Aaliyah and as well as our men's winners in the weeks to come here on the podcast, we want to share with you that uh, great moment that they all took part in in both Dallas and coming up this weekend in Houston, and all that to come on future Naismith podcasts. When we come back, I'll chat with Clark Kellogg. We'll talk about the men's Final Four in Houston, get you set for the weekend there. But first, this from Jersey Mike's. Did you know Jersey Mike's freshly grills hot subs right in front of you? It's a Jersey Mike's thing. And did you know I, Danny DeVito, am wearing a very cool shirt? All statements about fresh grilling at Jersey Mike's are true. All statements about Mr. DeVito's shirt cannot be legally confirmed. Nonsense. It's a great shirt. Agree to disagree. I want a second opinion. The shirt is just okay. Who are you? A A second opinion. opinion. Grilled right in front of you. It's a Jersey Mike's thing. A sub above. Joining us this morning from Houston, Texas, in the Final Four, CBS Sports Clark Kellogg, a dear friend of the Naismith and somebody that we all just absolutely love. Clark, how are you? And happy Final Four. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Happy Final Four and uh, terrific to be with you. We're doing well. I'm doing fine. Family is good. All the important people and things are good. And when that's the case, uh, I'm thankful and moving forward, man. So everybody's in good order and I'm looking forward to a great, great Final Four weekend. I hope you can make the brunch on Sunday if time allows. Yeah, I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to squeeze by. I don't know if I'll be able to be there for the duration, but my plan is to make an effort to be there for a portion. We'd be honored with your presence. Well, let's talk about the Final Four because this tournament, Clark, as you know, we've been watching you nonstop here. Uh, As you know, this has been absolutely bonkers. Uh, What's your takeaways as you get ready? You know, I tell you what, phenomenal teams here even though they aren't the names we're accustomed to seeing here. It's great to see first-time Final Four participants in uh, Miami, San Diego State, and certainly Florida Atlantic, Miami, and Florida Atlantic representing the state of Florida. And then obviously you've got UConn, who appears to be the favorite, 
But, you know, it's actually quite fitting, Bob, as you look back to the regular season and all the craziness around the top teams and the different teams that ended up having the number one ranking at different times, the number of surprising victories throughout the regular season, and it just carried over into the tournament. And now we've got teams that obviously are playing well. I mean, you don't luck your way into a Final Four. You've got to be playing well. And all of these teams are playing well. All of these teams are, are really capable. Um, San Diego State is probably the most defensive-centric team of the four. The other teams are really good defensively, but offensively is where UConn, Miami, and Florida and Atlanta kind of have thrived. So I'm, I'm really excited about the matchups. I think we've got, um, got some intriguing games on tap for Saturday, and then we'll crown a champion on Monday. Florida Atlantic has won 35 games, and I think many fans around the country think they're just the plucky underdog that's playing over their head. But as I watched last week, I I see a quality basketball team that is already, you talked about San Diego State's defense, but they dismantled Tennessee uh, with another great defensive team. This club can play. They're really good. And, you know, it's interesting. I've talked to different folks that I have relationship with. Kenny Smith talked about when you've won that many games, there's a culture and a habit of winning. You've established um, um, George Raveling, Coach Rav. I've spent some time visiting with him as he's watched the tournament. And that's the first thing that came out of his mouth, too. I mean, when the team wins that many times, they're um, doing a lot right. And then you watch them. I mean, they're deep. They play nine guys, double-digit minutes. Seven of them average between 6 and 14 points a game. Uh, they average 78 a game is what they score during the regular season. Uh, they're well-connected. They share the ball. They're tough. They're physical. They're athletic. Uh, they make shots. I mean, they're a terrific basketball team. There is no question about it. I was surprised initially. That was the one thing when they played Tennessee, Bob. I was thinking, well, I wonder if Tennessee's physicality and defensive prowess will overwhelm them. And after about six minutes, I knew that wasn't going to be the case. You could see that they were up to the challenge, and they will be ready to deal with San Diego State's terrific defense as well. I think that's going to be a heck of a matchup. I agree with you. Um, Miami-Connecticut, this is a game that really you can sink your teeth into because of all the the great storylines, the history, tradition at UConn, and what Coach Larinaga has done at joining a really select group of coaches yeah. uh, to take multiple teams to a Final Four, really two great stories. Um, it's the headline game of the, of the two, I think, on Saturday. I can't wait to see that one. No, I'm looking forward to it, too. And I'm glad you mentioned Coach Larinaga. I mean, what a coordination for him. Another one, I actually haven't taken George Mason to the Final Four back in 06. And um, his joy and effervescence is uh, contagious and it's uh, palpable and it makes you smile to see him enjoying it as much as he does and to have a team that's as explosive as this Miami Hurricanes team is. I was just kind of going through some of their regular season numbers before I delve into their tournament numbers, Bob, and they are highly efficient. They turn you over in a sneaky fashion. They rebound effectively well in kind of a sneaky fashion. But offensively, they come straight at you. I mean, they've got multiple playmakers and shot makers and ball handlers. Jordan Miller is fantastic. Wong, uh, certainly Pack. Poplar has been terrific in the tournament. I mean, they keep pressure on you constantly. And because they can score so efficiently, 
and so quickly. They're never out of a game. We saw it in the game against Texas. They were down in that half, in the second half, double digits, and just because they keep pressure on you and they're tremendous shot makers, they're, they're never out of it. And um, they're fun to watch, a lot of fun. I'm really looking. UConn has been the best team in the tournament, both sides of the ball, I think. Uh, they've been the most dominant. And that'll be a real, real good test for, for both of these squads. That should be fun to watch. And it will probably be the biggest test, arguably, that UConn has faced in this tournament. Yeah, you look at margin of victory, Bob. I don't know if, and I'll have to go back and look. I don't know if we've had a team beat its first four opponents um, this handily. I mean, if it has happened, it's not happened often in the tournament. Uh, I mean, they're well into double-digit margin of difference. And they've done it methodically and efficiently uh, with depth and size and ball movement. I mean, they may average more assists than any team remaining in the field on a per-game basis, although Florida Atlantic is up there, but I think UConn is maybe the best of the four in terms of assists uh, per basket and total number of assists. So they do it all, and they've been dominant. But, again, Miami has shown its ability to score. So, yeah, I am, uh, I like the matchups. I like both of them. And the storylines are unending. I mean, as long as you're willing to peel the onion back, you can find stories upon stories. That's part of the magic sauce of, of this time of year in the NCAA tournament. Well, you're so right. You know, there's one overriding factor of college basketball these days and of this tournament, and that is the transfer portal. Uh, you can't yeah. really talk about these teams and their construct without mentioning the transfer portal. It is such a big part of all of these clubs and all of college basketball. As someone who, you know, you play the game at such a high level, at the highest level, of course, professionally, but in high school and college, to see the game change this way. I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit, Clark, about what you're seeing uh, in terms of the transfer portal and its overall effect on the college game. Yeah, clearly it's prevalent and it's pervasive and it's not going away. Uh, I do like the fact that kids get an opportunity if the situation isn't right where they are to transfer without penalty of sitting out at least one time. I'm not sure multiple times is good for the game, but that's going to be modified. Actually, the current rule is uh, that you can transfer once and be immediately eligible. We've had some additional elements and dynamics with the COVID year being added, which was a unique, unprecedented circumstance, not just for college athletics, but for the world when you talk about a pandemic and the havoc it's wreaked and the disruption and the change and all that has come with that. And we're still working through that. And we'll be working through it on, on many levels for, for, for a number of years yet when you look at the educational system, impact on kids and families. I mean, there's just so many layers to the impact of the um, pandemic. And part of it has shown itself in, in college basketball and athletics from the standpoint of that additional year being added. It's allowed teams to be older. It's allowed the transfer portal in conjunction with that has um, given teams an opportunity to get better quicker. Um, it somewhat has impacted how programs recruit high school kids now. I think there's a little bit of a squeeze taking place there because you can get ready-made college players that have been in a system for two or three years and decide to transfer and clearly have an edge on incoming high schoolers. So, yeah, there are a number of layers and, and dynamics. Um, I'm not ready to – disdain it as awful. I mean, clearly there's some challenges, 
but I think by and large, the freedom of movement should be allowed. Um, how you mitigate and modify that going forward is, and then kids, I mean, you know, it's a personal choice. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't dislike it, Bob. I think it's um, uncomfortable. Change always is. Uh, I don't always, you know, like the reasons kids leave. I mean, if the fit is not right or the coach, coach changes or you like more plants, I mean, those are reasons, but just assuming that there's greener grass somewhere else and not maybe sticking it out for your own personal growth is something I'd like to see more, but that's not my call. That's, that's always a personal call. So by and large, it's here. It's not going away. I really wish programs would not poach and immediately start to go after kids the way it happens in recruiting. That part is really distasteful and unfortunate, but uh, that, again, that too is a personal call. I mean, how you're going to approach kids in the transfer portal is something that coaches have to decide, and we know that where human nature is involved, there are going to be elements of people that go up against the line or go go across it, and uh, that's unfortunate. But the transfer portal in and of itself, because it allows freedom of choice and movement for players, I'm very much in favor of. It's interesting the impact of the portal on the playing of the games. In this regard, you know, if you're 24 years old, and I'm 18, mm-hmm. at the college level, yeah. you're going to be better than me. Yeah. No doubt. And I think we've seen that play out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Older teams have always fared well, particularly in tournament play, but how they've gotten older has changed. Again, you add in the additional COVID year, the transfer portal. You have kids that maybe started their careers as role players at the power conference level with the additional time for development become high-level college players, and the same can happen at the mid-major level or the non-power conference level where a kid maybe was under-recruited or just wasn't quite ready to play at the highest level of Division I, but by virtue of that additional maturity and aging and working on his game has now developed into a viable high-level college player. That doesn't necessarily mean that individual will be a pro, at the NBA level, but in college, it does make a difference. You're exactly right. And teams that have had success have always tried to blend being old and talented with young talent. And so now you see teams being able to skip a step and be able to get older and better by virtue of um, players that have had the benefit of developing in college um, for a little longer. And I know that's a little distasteful and uncomfortable for some uh, And we'll see how it plays out over the coming years. I mean, this is kind of the middle of the transfer portal, the near end of the additional COVID year. So let's see what happens in the in the in the coming years. The transfer portal has grown exponentially over the last handful of years. Will that continue? Um, We'll see. But I know I know transfers are going to continue to look at options as they uh, as they evaluate their own circumstances and situations on the hardwood in college. It's interesting because, um, you know, there's 1,200 kids in the transfer portal now um, in, in two weeks or whatever it is. And, uh, and that's, a, a, to me, that's a, a staggering number. And, and, you know, we both have, have worked in the pros. And uh, it strikes me, Clark, that you've got three things in college basketball that, the pros would never tolerate a non-binding contract, unlimited free agency, and no salary cap. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to continue. No, those are really valid points. And uh, 
Yeah, we have to look at all of that as a college entity. Um, and I, I just trust and, and, and hope that, um, obviously, we love the competition. Athletics is a tremendous vehicle for those gifted to be able to uh, earn college scholarships through their athletic ability. Um, I also just want to make sure that the educational component is, um, is still central. I know the big business of basketball takes center stage. I understand that, but there is an element, uh, an important element around the education that is tied to college basketball that's unique and different and always should be than pro. And my concern, one of them, is to make sure that the educational component doesn't get lost, that kids are going to school, they're actually getting work done to get meaningful degrees while using their athletic ability to perform on the court or field or track or wherever it might be, but that education is really the one of the most surefire ways to uplift and change lives, and that's how these kids have gotten. Basketball has been the tool to have them be able to have their college paid for, and I just hope that the kids are taking – the institutions are providing um, – those, those that that educational component, and that the student athletes are really taking that to heart and taking that um, seriously because that is life changing. And I know from former teammates of mine, and we know the numbers, how few are going to play professional sports, and even those who do will not play forever. And that education is lifelong, and that if you get a grounded foundation, it's not the only way, but it clearly is one of the most assured ways of of improving um, your lives and the lives of those that, that come behind you in your circle. And so I just want, I just hope that we can actually make that part, you know, keep that central in, in, in the mission while we celebrate the, the wonderful athletic ability of, um, of these young men and women on the other side. So well said. We will table all that for the weekend. We are out to enjoy this final four, right? This is going to be one of the most unique Saturdays ever. All right. Well, Clark, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate you so much and all that you do for us at the Naismith Awards. Can't wait to see you this weekend. And all the best, buddy. We'll be watching every second. All right. Appreciate you, Bob. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks, man. And that will do it for this week. Don't forget on next week's podcast, we will also be revealing our Naismith men's winners a lot ahead and uh, so much great basketball, great people. It's just a pleasure to be associated with the Naismith Trophy and the Naismith Awards. It's just been a great season and a great weekend in Dallas and in Houston. Until next week, Bob Rathbun saying so long.